0: This morning I'm going to read um, Genesis chapter 40, verse 1 to 23. This is the historical account of Joseph as he interprets the dreams of two of Pharaoh's servants. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. When it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Would you pray with me? God, I am so thankful that you hold this reality together and that by you all things consist. God, I thank you for the joy that we can have in our hearts because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. And was able to reconcile us to you so we are no longer at enmity with you, but we can be at peace with you. God, I pray that all of us this morning would surrender, would ask forgiveness for our sins, would trust in Jesus Christ to be our Savior. God, please show us from your word. God, give us tender hearts. Give us the mindset to be soft clay that you would be able to mold us. God, please help us to surrender those things that are holding us back that we value above you and become idols. God, please expose the truths of your word to us and lighten our eyes. I pray that you'd bless in the preaching and God, I thank you so much that we have a place where we can celebrate being born again and we can revel in the truths of your word. God, I ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: If you're visiting with us this morning, a particular welcome to you. This is what the story of Genesis 42 is about. It's about a God who speaks covenant promises to a people, has dealings of faithfulness to a people, that creates a consciousness of God in such a way that allows and enables trust in that God. God is real, (laughs) God has spoken, God can be trusted. The details of the story are of a dungeon Joseph's life at this point is not upwardly mobile it's downwardly mobile he's gone from being a slave to an imprisoned slave the next level of lowliness he is a mere two years away from being on the throne of Egypt he will rule over everything at Pharaoh's right hand. But not yet. Joseph is in a dungeon. He knows that he will be exalted. He's had his own dreams, and he knows very well the significance of them, that that as the cupbearer spoken of being lifted up he also will be lifted up as he saw in dreams earlier this is the second couplet of dreams and there will be a third couplet of dreams yet to come in the story and the dreams of this cupbearer of being lifted up is tantalizingly similar to his own dream of of being lifted up in fact there is foreshadowing here that he will one day be lifted up by pharaoh himself and rule over all of egypt and so Joseph appeals to the cupbearer. You're going to be lifted up. I know that I'm going to be lifted up. But please remember me. I, I, I'm here. I'm a slave. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm here only by injustice. When you're restored and lifted up to Pharaoh, remember me, please. And it introduces the key themes of so much of covenant dealings of, of remembering and forgetting. He did not remember, the cupbearer did not remember, but he forgot. See, God is a remembering God, and we're a forgetting people. It's basically the story of Israel and, and their God. God remembered Noah on the boat, it says. Brought the, the winds. Of course, the people get off the boat, and, and they forget. God remembered Abraham and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah God remembered Rachel and her inability to conceive and Exodus opens up with these words and Pharaoh forgot <laughs> A Lot in this story really opens up the story for the story of Exodus which becomes the grand story that redemption is based upon and a lot of foreshadowing of of the Exodus story in this text where Pharaoh for God, but God remembers his people. He does not forget them. He remembers them and he, and he delivers them that Israel is not in the hands of Pharaoh. They are in the hands of God alone. And he raises them up. He takes them into the wilderness and he shows them his word and he speaks to them and he takes them into a land where Moses, before the enter, says these very things that God remembered you in Egypt. And I know this is what you're gonna do. These are Moses' final words to his people. You are going to forget him. And it's the story of God's people. And Moses goes on to say that similar to the dreams, to the cupbearer and the, and the bread maker, when, when you, when you are, are faithful to me, when you listen to my word, when you trust me, you will be raised up. But when you forget me, when you ignore my word, when you neglect, neglect me and abandon me, you will be cast down. There are blessings and there are curses. There's a, a, a lot of things in here that tell of, speak of things to come. But just when it appears that, that Joseph might have a, a path out of the dungeon, a toehold, a, a, a foothold of a person who would somehow feel indebted to him, who would be at the right hand of Pharaoh and could speak a word, the foothold fails as the the psalmist cries out that the the ground is is the clay is slippery and my foot slipped and the story ends without a, a foothold but instead slipping back down into a dungeon where joseph is left at the end of this particular chapter and it describes a very profound reality of living and that reality of living is this, that the perplexity of having a sure knowledge of future expectation, of prospects, of, of Dickens wrote about great expectations, and the Christian absolutely does have great and wonderful expectation, wonderful prospects through all that God has revealed beforehand, before it ever happens, to us. And yet the perplexity of living life that resembles a dungeon, the experiences that, that, that restrict us, that, that, that hem us in, that aren't anything like the prospects that we have. David lived his life in a, in a similar way. He wasn't in a dungeon, but David was the anointed future king of Israel. He's living in a cave as a fugitive from Saul. Great expectations, but present realities is, is different. So here's the main point. Here's what I'd like you to take home with you today. If you don't get anything else, that God is God is trustworthy. His purposes are sure and trustworthy even in the midst of of unjust afflictions. It's a very simple thing, and all of you know it theoretically. All of you could sign off on that. I believe that God is trustworthy and and sure in all of his promise, even in the midst of of unjust affliction. But if you haven't already, there's going to come a day when you're going to have to walk in it. And so the point of the story is to proclaim something. Yes, it has a a powerful exhortation that comes out of it in the life of Joseph and his faithfulness, but but the the root of that exhortation, how it can, can ever be manifested in our lives, is first and foremost a proclamation about God. He is real. He is trustworthy. This is exactly the opposite thoughts that the devil would like us to have about God. God has failed you. Do you really think God cares? Where is your powerful and loving God now? It's reminded of the words of Martha recently in John chapter 11 when her brother dies and Lazarus is in the tomb and, and Jesus arrives and Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd only been here. And i hear many people i've had the thoughts myself i've heard many people say things like that to me god where were you where are you if you had only been here if only you had shown up in all of your mercy and power and so we're we're like joseph to the cupbearer i shouldn't be here i want out i have great prospects but the reality of the living right now is often experiencing things that are extremely constricting and and feel like a dungeon in many different ways. The psalmist cried out, Lord, let me out of prison. Psalm 142. And he wasn't speaking of a literal prison. He was speaking of of a confining and constricting place in life. Sometimes it's physical disabilities. People who live their whole lives in wheelchairs. People who lose their sight. People who live with chronic pain. People who suffer strokes. Their their, their life all of a sudden feels like a dungeon. People who suffer from genetic illnesses. Constricting. uh, Constricting and... Chronic pain. Sometimes it's not physical disabilities, but it's it's disabilities more of the or a restricting of the mind, a, a trauma that that makes our mind to to feel very constricted, very imprisoned through things like trauma or through grief or through profound discouragement, through fear, through anxiety. Sometimes it's chronically dysfunctional relationships that you you live in the midst of. And you cry out to the Lord, Lord, I want out of here. Sometimes it's addictions. Do you get it? Christians suffer from these things. People who aren't bad Christians. Christians first Peter 2 19 says this is a gracious thing I hope you know these words this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly Joseph's life is a a model of what Israel was intended to be in this world. The, ca- the capacity to live in a peculiar way because God is real and God has spoken. That ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God is real, God has spoken. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Ain't you love that? There's a. There's a, it doesn't just say every word of God is true, and it, 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 the Scripture says that everywhere. This is a little different. That every word of God proves true. It's an insinuation that, that, that it, it needs to prove itself true still, and it will. And it goes on to say that it, He is a refuge to those who trust in Him. Amen. Praise the Lord. I hope you. I hope you can see that the story itself involving Joseph is not primarily a story about Joseph. It's a story about God that involves Joseph. Okay, We've seen that over and over these past few weeks. Every time we, we get to the Old Testament, don't, don't lose that perspective. Don't pick up your pen and say, how can I be like Joseph? I want to be like Joseph. Don't go to heaven and say, well, I was like Joseph. I did my best to be like Joseph. The great question of the text isn't what did joseph do the great question of the story is what are you like god what is the god like that that joseph trusted that joseph knew is the primary question god is real and god has spoken god can be trusted you know we live in such a god abandoning culture Those those little phrases, I think, are more and more what we need to be all about, where people are really at in our world. It's it's not overlooking the things that, that people need to hear. God is real. God has spoken. God can be trusted. I hope you hear that over and over and over again. But God uses the life of Joseph and the faithfulness of Joseph to, to, to say something about himself, <laughs> to proclaim something true about himself. And what that is, that proclamation is this, is that, that my purposes are bigger than your circumstances. I can be trusted even in a dungeon. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all, Psalm 34, 19. And so Joseph's life is a picture of what the nation of Israel was to be and what Christ ultimately would be, to, to hear the words of a God who is real, to show them to a perverse, twisted generation, and to show his ownership over all things, which is what the visions that Daniel interprets do, reveals God's ownership, not Pharaoh, over the lives and the future of the cupbearer and the bread maker. Okay? That's what I want you to take home. It's a very profound thing, but it's very simple. God can be trusted. Now I'm going to go through three practical points of what it looks like to trust God in a dungeon. What is the evidence? What is the fruit of Psalm 1, of the, of the roots that, that, that go down deep into the stream because it's meditated and, and, and grasped the idea that God has spoken and is trusting God and is safe in God. See, in a dungeon, you're, you're, you're safe in God. And so there's, that bears fruit. And the three words I'm going to use is faithful, truthful, and enduring. Faithful truthful and enduring that faithfulness is a virtue is not new to you it's not new to me but this is specifically faithfulness in the midst of betrayal Joseph was betrayed by his brothers he was betrayed by Potiphar and his wife now he's betrayed by the Cupbearer, remember me. And the cupbearer, restored to Pharaoh, proves that he's all about himself. Who could care less about a Hebrew slave in an Egyptian prison? He's absolutely worthless. And that's one of the betrayals that people experience in this world. you Ever suffered from racism? Ever suffered from prejudice? Betrayal is a profound emotion that can make the soul awash in revenge and anger. It can it can control one's life, and and it. But it's the reality. It's the reality of life. People will betray you. Some of the deepest moments of pain in my own life have when I have betrayed somebody. If I could go back and change anything in the days of my life, it would be when I have spoken things that are not spoken things when I should have that has betrayed somebody. And I also understand what it means to be betrayed. Sometimes it's the most simple, simple, you know, just course of life ways. You're out with people who are Christians and they're rude and obnoxious and, and you think, you, you betray me in your character. Sometimes it's far more profound like that in betrayal. People prove that they love money more than they love their promise. People prove that they love sex more than they love their vows. People prove that they love themselves more than anything else. What does it look like to trust God? I believe that Christians must, as people who are safe in God, have the capacity to serve people who are at times faithless. I don't know of anything else that I respect more in Christian and godly character. To have the capacity to continue to love, to continue to serve, to continue to be faithful to people who are not faithful to them. Institutions fail us. Governments fail us. Sorry if that's a newsflash. flash. I won't go on about that. I can become a deeply cynical person, but we all know what betrayal means. Leaders, Christian leaders, people who discover that they actually love worldly ideas more than they love the Word of God. Jesus himself was betrayed by people when he had only ever loved, helped, and healed people. And he was faithful. So here's the path out of out of that out of that raw emotion. Here's the path. And it's revealed in Joseph's vision of of these two lives that ultimately are not in the hands of Pharaoh. Before they ever come to Pharaoh's court, God announces their future, said they are actually in my hands. One will be lifted up, one will be put down. Yes, it will be through the hands of Pharaoh, but my hand is over all. And that's exactly the path out of betrayal is to understand this very profound idea that our hands are not bound up in the people who betray us, in the institutions and the governments and, and all of the things around us, but our hands are bound In the hands of God alone. As Jesus' life served because his life was not bound to the crowds that betrayed him, but bound to the Father alone. Not extracting who he was from what was around him, but given what he is as a gift from the Father. It's a very, very, very powerful reality. And again, it foreshadows the great conflict of Exodus, where God would reveal, spoken centuries beforehand, the future of Israel's people, of, of, of Jacob's children. That before Pharaoh would do anything, God spoke, says they will come back into Canaan 400 years later. And God remembered his people. And the people's lives were not ultimately in the hands of Pharaoh at all. 1 Peter 4:19 says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Second word is truthful. Joseph was a truth speaker without regard for the audience. It must have been a joy to tell the cupbearer, you're going to be, you're out of here, man. You're, you're going to be risen up. You're going to be right exactly where you were. What a privilege to be able to give somebody prospects of a future that is good and wonderful and encouraging. But he wasn't saying that to try to win that person's favor or to try to somehow get something out of him. He, he said it because it was the truth. It's simply what God had told him. It could not have been as easy to say to the breadmaker. There must have been some camaraderie in a prison. They're all restricted. They're all confined in the, in the space of Pharaoh. There must have been some bonds that would be created amongst fellow prisoners. It could not have been easy, as easy to say to the breadmaker, I heard some of you groan when the text was read. It's not a pretty image. This is what's going to happen to you in three days. You will be cast down. Again, this is God's purposes in Israel. We're to speak God's truth to a world in darkness. And that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, who came to reveal God's truth, that all souls are in his hand of both salvation, of a lifting up, and of judgment, of a casting down. And all who believe in me will be lifted up, have that confident prospect of being lifted up, all who believe in me. But the truth also is that, and sometimes you have that gut feeling in your stomach when you're talking about these things, and and you know what you're about to say is not going to be received well. but it's the truth and if you don't say it you're unfaithful that there are those be lifted up and through faith in Christ and through that same Christ by rejection of him others will be cast down Joseph was a truth speaker regardless of the audience without regard for the audience you know without fear Or with just just simple integrity. God knows, holds everything. And there can be tremendous fear in a congregation of believers sometimes about speaking the truth because they think that it might not be what people want to hear. There's a great danger in tailoring our message, trying to get. I hate it going to a church where I've got the feeling they're trying to guess what I'm thinking. This isn't Walmart. Don't market anything to me. Tell me the truth. But there's a tremendous fear. Oh, no. What will the millennials think? What will my children think? What will my grandchildren say? Truth speaking with a heart's desire to win people. God is real. God is spoken. God is trustworthy. But truthless, I mean sorry, truthful, <laughs> regardless. The third word is enduring. Joseph's prospects of the cupbearer being a path out of the prison did not immediately materialize. The next chapter will begin two years later. So the the foothold, so it would appear, is that this is my this is my path out of here. Remember me. I'm here un, unjustly. The end of the story is that he forgets him. He does not remember. And Joseph is left to continue without knowing anything else other than that, life is the same as it was yesterday. He is a betrayed prisoner. Ever been faced with the difficult thought of continuing? and not know how you're going to do it? Take widowhood, for example. Partner's gone. They have great prospects. Being reunited. My wife and I talk about this once in a while. One of us will go on alone at some point in our lives. We will be faced of continuing. One of us will be. In life, there are two things that can change. Two things that can change that make the clouds part. The first one that can change is circumstances. And circumstances can change. And the clouds do. They they, they seem to part and they go, wow, I never imagined this. I did not know what was coming. But sometimes circumstances do not change. And the second, second thing that can change is perspective. Have you ever gone through a perspective-altering experience? And I think that the story of Joseph in a dungeon has the capacity to give us that. When circumstances do not change, perspective must. It absolutely must. We've tried to say this over and over again. I'm going to say it again. That the life of Joseph in the broader context of the scripture is largely hardly even mentioned. Yes, it says in Psalm 105 that, that God put Joseph in Egypt or, uh, in fetters to test him. And there are some places where Joseph is, is mentioned, but largely Joseph is disregarded as even being a part of the story of God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The perspective is this, let me just say it very simply, the perspective that Joseph's life is a very, very small part of a larger story. The perspective is this, that it's not all about him here in a dungeon, that God's character ultimately is not definitively proved by his circumstances now, but by the broader story of what he is only a very small part of. I was reading in through the Life of Samuel recently, and 1 Samuel 12 is just an example of all the many places in the scripture where the history of Israel is recounted. And this is a story that is recounted over and over and over again by God's people, of God's dealings with, with Israel. And, and because we're going through the story of Joseph, it it, it got my attention. Samuel says this, that, that God took Jacob down to Egypt. <laughs> I thought, are you kidding me? Joseph was the whole means by which they all of the, the humiliation, the betrayal, the the, the the slave traders, the the, the raising up, the, the famine, the, the invitation, all the brother story, all of that. Nothing. God brought Jacob down to Egypt. See the story isn't about Joseph. The story is about God. And his covenant faithfulness, of which Joseph is a very, very small part. Now listen to me carefully. I I hope you can understand this. But I believe it's very important in our culture of Western evangelical Christianity. When we try to bring faith into a self-centered, autonomous, individually-orientated, narcissist worldview that judges God's character by our own circumstances and keeps God in a genie bottle to rub once in a while for our happiness, you will face tremendous challenges in continuing. This is the perspective-altering story. Our lives are part of God's story that is ultimately about Jesus Christ the gospel story is all about Jesus it's about his entrance into the world it's about his divine favor with the Father and his sacrifice and his, his resurrection and his ascension and his one day coming again, of which our lives, where, yes, we are called to be faithful, to be a part of the greater story. Those things about the Son of God definitively proclaim the true character of God, not our circumstances. But it's a perspective-altering thing it's not about us it is about him and having this perspective that our life is a small part of a much larger story is necessary to endure through affliction i was reminded of these words of luke chapter 17 where jesus speaks of of an unworthy servant (laughs) we don't put those two words together very often we glamorize the word servant unworthy servant. Where Jesus s- says this, after he's the master's come in from the field, will he say to the servant, come at once and sit at the table with me? Or will the master not rather say to him, prepare supper for me? Hmm. And dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. Do we even know what a servant is? We've just gone through Good Friday, a pretty good glimpse of what a servant is. They spit on him, and he served them. In conclusion, God's people face many afflictions, but there is a greater story. And the greater story is this that God will finally and gloriously not allow his purposes to be thwarted. Psalm 27:14 says, "Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and Let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. Would you please stand with me? I'm going to read part of a psalm in conclusion. I made reference to this psalm earlier when the psalmist speaks of being in prison. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you deal bountifully with me.